Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Last week, we talked about what's the point. We talked about what's the point of prayer. And if I can remind you, uh, when we got to the end of all of that we talked about with prayer, we talked about the point of prayer is what? Relationship with God relationship with God. I just want to remind you of that. Think about that and keep that in the back of your mind as we go throughout this series. Today we're going to talk about what is the point of grace? What's the point of grace? And as we make our way through this little message series, we continue to explore this question, what's the point? And one of the things that we may realize is that Life purpose isn't always just one thing, but the, but the further that we go in life, the more that we know, the more experience we have, the more people we meet, uh, the more we fail, the more we overcome all of those things, all of those things add to our purpose and accomplishing our purpose in life. And it gives us a picture of who we are and what God wants us to do. And so we want to accomplish that, yet still there is nothing wrong with along the way asking questions of God. I want to tell you that God has big shoulders. He's able to handle all of your questions, including the question, what's the point? King Solomon was bold enough to confront this dilemma when he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, he said, these are the words of the preacher. He, of course, we know he's the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns toward the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is, is, is what will be. That which has already been will be again. This is what he's telling us. What you've already seen, you'll see it again. just want to remind somebody there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Up in verses 2 and 3 in the, living, in the New Living Translation, uh, it puts it this way. Everything is meaningless says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get from all their hard work under the sun? That's the New Living Translation. What do people get from all of their hard work under the sun? King Solomon asked this question. 
that many of us want answered. Many of us want that answered. It says, in my opinion, nothing is worthwhile. Everything is futile. For what does a man get for all his hard work? Generations come and go, but it makes no difference. And so many of us are not bold enough to ask the Lord these questions. Now, King Solomon was a man who had everything at this point. He had seen it all. He had, he had asked God for wisdom and God gave him everything that his heart desired. He had failed God. He had done all of these things. And so my question is, why would he ask God these questions? He wasn't at the place where I am. He wasn't a, a person who may be struggling with life. He wasn't a person who may be up one day and down the next day. It didn't seem like. Yet he was bold enough to ask this question, God, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of it all? Last week, we, we, we talked about what the point of prayer was and its relationship. This week, let's look at what is the point of grace. Now, when God gave me this, what is the point of grace? I asked God, why do you want me to preach on grace? Everybody knows grace. We know the song, Amazing Grace. There was a guy that wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace. We've heard the word grace before. Yet, I want to tell you that it's one thing to understand in your head the definition of grace, and it's another thing to live it, to live in it. To live in it, it takes revelation. It takes revelation. And so when we define grace, of course, many of us would say that it's a dynamic expression of the divine personality of God. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's an expression of God. Many of us would say that it's favor, it's approval, and support. That's what grace is. It's, it's God's favor upon you. The most popular definition, especially among Christians or churchgoers, would be it's unmerited favor, right? Amen. It's unmerited favor. In other words, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, and you can't borrow it. You didn't earn it. It's unmerited. There's no, you don't get grace on your own merit. You don't get grace on your own recognizance. You don't sign something to get grace. You don't put up any collateral for grace. It's just given. You can't do it. But perhaps one of the best definitions I've ever heard of grace is simply this. It says grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference, watch this, and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and bless. Now, you may not have room to write all of that down, but don't worry. We'll put it on our social media. It'll be on our Instagram or Facebook or website. But I think that's a wonderful definition because God is gracious in action. That's what we don't understand. I was talking with a guy one day some time ago. We, were, we got to talking about grace. And he said, you know what? I think we've really missed it on grace. He said, when I ask people other pastors and people what grace is they give that definition it's unmerited favor and he says yeah but I think I think that 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 we miss it I, I think that that grace is more than that I think that 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 grace is uh, God in action he's he's God and it grace is God in action grace is something more than just unmerited favor is that what is that what grace is to you and uh, he said now do you think I'm wrong and I said 100 percent I think you are 100% wrong. He laughed and we laughed about it. And he said, well, why, 
why do you think I'm 100% wrong? And I said, well, I don't think that your definition is necessarily wrong, but I think you're asking the wrong question. You're trying to figure out what grace is, and really the answer is, who is grace? That's the right question. Who is grace? Grace is not just a theological concept, but grace is an atmospheric condition. Grace is a person. Come on. Grace, here's the thing about grace. Every other religion, and I wouldn't even say every other religion, I'll say every religion. Every religion, because I don't consider Christianity a religion. If you do, that's okay. I won't argue with you about that. Every religion is based on what you can do for God. Every religion. Christianity is based on what God has done for you. That's its base. That's its foundation. Without that, there is no Christianity. Every other religion is based on what you do for God. But Christianity, what God has done for you, and that could be surmised in one word, grace. Grace. Because you can understand the definition of grace and even the concept of grace, but if you haven't experienced it, you don't know what it is. You can define it, but if you've never experienced it, you don't know what grace is. Grace emanates from God to us without us. In spite of you, God puts grace and favor upon you. It's nothing you do to earn grace. Many times when we're blessed, we look back and we say, well, what do we do? I must have done something right. I, I prayed every day this week. I did my devotional. I was on my little Bible app and I did the whole thing this whole week. And so now God is blessing me for that. No, we have it wrong. It's the wrong concept of grace. Grace cannot be merited for if it is ever merited, then it is not grace. Paul said that. We are made by the grace of God. Undeserved, mysterious, too good to be true. God's amazing grace, divine favor. Except for this grace and favor, who knows where we end up? Who knows where we end up? John Powell said we cannot psychologize the grace of God. God's actions are outside and above human sciences. Of course science can't define God. It's foolish to think that it can. God made science. Warfield said grace is free sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. You don't deserve it, which is the very reason God gives it to you. He places it upon you and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Very often we think of this word grace and we, we think of mercy. And we know the difference in grace and mercy, but just to, to make a comparison and to understand, mercy is really more compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. You have the power to punish someone because they wronged you, but you don't do it. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. You get that? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I deserve to be punished. I deserved for this thing to be taken away. But someone showed mercy. And mercy will find you. You can backslide. Mercy will find you, like Adam and Eve. 
You can do wrong. Mercy will find you. You can run away from God. Mercy will find you. You can treat others badly, and mercy will find you. We, as humans, couldn't exist without mercy. In fact, God loves mercy so much that he requires it. He requires it. Listen to me. He requires it of us. It's not a suggestion that you forgive others. It's not, oh, you, you, if you want to be a nice person, forgive others. No, no. God is saying you better forgive others. You better do it. You better do it. Matthew 9, 13 says, then he added Jesus saying this, now go away. He was talking to people about mercy. And he said, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse of scripture. It isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful. In other words, instead of sacrificing to God because of the wrongs you've done, no, accept his mercy and turn around and be merciful to someone else. It's not good enough just to say thank you to God for forgiving me. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But it's not good enough. You haven't reached it. You haven't gotten there yet. If you understand the mercy of God, God, you have forgiven me. You have shed your blood and I am forgiven. Thank you. And you stop there. You haven't gotten there. Because Jesus said, go and learn what this means. That I don't desire your sacrifices, but that you be merciful. God loves mercy so much that he requires it of you toward others. Be merciful. Mercy sets the context for many of Jesus' teachings. In Matthew, remember, Jesus tells the story of the unmerciful servant who wouldn't forgive. He was forgiven of millions and wouldn't forgive someone who owed him pennies. He told that story. And this story teaches us that we need to forgive others because we have been forgiven ourselves. And while a lack of mercy is more natural to the human condition, it is the motive for God's covenant with you and I. It is the motive for his covenant. Mercy, mercy. Mercy is at the core of salvation. You see, the saved are called the vessels of mercy, while those who resist God are called the vessels of wrath. Romans 9.22 says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? Prepared. Those that resist God are prepared for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand of glory. Mercy, mercy. We, we get it from God and it's required of us to give. Mercy is wonderful. Oh, where would we be without mercy? You ever been somewhere or been in a situation when you know you're in trouble? You were late to work and you got busted. You did that thing, whatever it might be, and someone caught you. You know you're caught and you know you're in trouble. And someone says, that's okay. Don't worry about it this time. Mercy. Mercy is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to receive, and it's all the more beautiful to give. Hard to give, but it's beautiful. Mercy, mercy, mercy. But I want to tell you this morning that there's something that's better than mercy. As good as mercy is, grace, grace is, the, is critical. 
Grace is critical to get to heaven for the unsaved. But I want to tell you something this morning. Grace is critical to get heaven to you. And that's what God does for you. God brings heaven to you, grace. Before we were in a dispensation called the law. And now we're in what many people call the grace dispensation. Dispensation is not a time. It's not from 00 to 2027. Dispensation is God's way of doing it. It's a general order or state or way of doing things. It's the way God does it. The biblical definition of dispensation would be the method or scheme according to which God carries out his purpose toward mankind. The old covenant was a law way of operating. The new covenant, the Bible calls it a grace arrangement. And I think one of the ways that we fall short as Christians is we haven't made the jump from the law way of doing things to the grace way of operating in the kingdom of God. Because it doesn't feel right. I mean, if I do something wrong, I want somebody to confront me. I, I, I want to I be able to earn what you give me. I want to be able to earn it. Far too many Christians are still operating in the old, never having transferred to the new. But let me tell you something about the old and operating under the old. Do you realize that the old was never meant to save you? The old was never meant to make you comfortable. The old way was never meant to say, okay, now if you just do these things, you'll be all right. God knew you couldn't keep the law. He didn't give it to you so that you could keep it. The law was given to show you how sinful you are. That's why the law was given. The law is almost a curse because it reveals how sinful we are. Jacob said, what a worm I am. I am a worm before you. I am not deserving. It shows you how sinful you are. And so why would you operate when God said, no, I'm only showing you this so that when I bring grace, grace, you will understand the favor. You have a revelation of the favor. Grace, grace is a mechanism for victory. Grace is a mechanism for peace. Grace is a mechanism for our joy. It's a mechanism for power for us. That's what grace is for us. You don't have victory, peace, joy, power in your life without the mechanism of grace. That's why Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.18, he said, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. He wants you to grow in your understanding, grow in your accepting it, grow in your functioning of it so that you will be able to benefit from it. Grow in grace. If you don't understand it, understand what it is. If you think you understand it, study it some more. Pray. Ask God to reveal it to you. Don't get grace by reading it in a book. Don't just read the book and get grace. That's what other religions do. And other religious leaders give the laws and say, keep these. But you have to understand, many would say, well, isn't that what Christianity is? We have the Bible and it's a book. And if we just keep everything in that. But here's what I want to tell you. The Bible is not just a book of rules and laws for us to keep. The Bible is the word of God who was here walking the earth and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. And since he is away from us, he has given himself to us. The Bible is a representation of a person. 
Stop seeking after the law and seek after the person. That's what grace is. We want to know what the point of grace is. If you get in trouble, if, 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 if someone comes up to you and tries to rob you, you don't need the law. You don't need to say, look, I know you're pointing that gun at me, but the, you know, the, the law says in, in, in paragraph six, number two, that you're not allowed to rob me. No, you don't need the law. You need a person. You need a police officer. You need a policeman or a police woman. You need somebody to come. Just the law is not going to help you. It's the way it is with us. We don't just need the law. We need somebody. We need a person. We need the person of Jesus Christ. Grace is God's liberating word. We know uh, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, By grace ye are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of yourself. But if you back up to verse 4, the Bible says, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. You couldn't do, in other words, you couldn't do anything. There was nothing you could do. You couldn't get up. You couldn't make a case for yourself. You have no points to give. You have nothing, nothing. Dead in your transgressions. And God saved you. It is by grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. How often has somebody given you a gift and said, happy birthday, happy birthday, Moses, here's a gift. Now that'll be $84.50. If they charge you for it, it's not a gift. Accept the gift of God. Let me just give you briefly a few things that grace does for you because grace, here's what I want you to understand about it. Grace is not just a concept. Don't just sit at home and go, oh, I have the grace of God. I have the favor of God. Grace is action. Grace is a person in action. There's a manifestation of grace. God's favor is his special affection toward me that releases influence on me. That's what grace is. His special affection toward me, me. Not just the church, not just people, but me. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your situations. He knows your failures. He knows your offenses. He knows your thoughts. He know where, knows where you've fallen short. He knows all of that. He knows the wrong you're going to do tomorrow. And his grace is on you. It's his special affection toward you. Come on. Esther said, I found favor in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says Noah found favor with God. What did he do? He found favor with God. Proverbs 3, 4, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. It's grace. Number two, grace turns my weeping into joy. We know the scripture that weeping may endure for a night, but joy, come on, joy. You know that, that scripture in Psalm verse 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 5, we, we quote, for weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You ever get a chance, go back and look at that verse of Scripture. Because it actually says, for his anger is for a moment, but his favor, his grace, his favor is for life. That's why weeping only endures for a night and joy comes in the morning. Because yes, God may get angry but it only lasts a moment. 
His favor is for life. It never runs out. There's no beginning to his favor and there's no end to it. His grace is upon you. God's favor marks me with the, his peculiar signature of special grace to succeed, to prosper, and to have influence. That's God's grace. That's why you don't have to be afraid of those things. Don't be afraid of succeeding. Don't be afraid of prospering. And don't be afraid of having influence. I mean, I, listen, I've, got, I've gotten slammed at points, even on social media, trying to be an influence, talking about how God wants you to succeed and God wants you to prosper. And people come with the doctrine that Jesus is coming to tear down kingdoms. Yes, he is. But he's not coming to tear his own kingdom down. He's tearing worldly kingdoms down so that he can set up the kingdom of God. We're talking about operating according to the kingdom of God. Not that we would be lifted up or have any pride. It all goes 100% to glorify him. 100%. That's why you don't have to be afraid to succeed, prosper, and have influence. You are blessed. Come on, somebody, too. You are blessed to be a blessing. It's the point of it all. God's favor finds the single person a great spouse. Somebody say amen on that. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor. It's in there. Favor from the Lord. You get favor. Remember Ruth, she received favor. She received, Ruth was favored by God and, God and God provided a godly man for her. God's grace does that. He knows you're every, see God's grace is not just some theological concept way out here. God's grace touches you where you are. That's what I'm trying to show you. God's favor goes before me to overtake me. Watch this now, watch. Wherever I go. David said, if I make my bed in hell, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, there your right hand holds me. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Wherever I go, God's favor is with me. God's favor can bring supernatural increase and promotion. It does that for us. God's favor removes the mountains in my path. That's what God's favor does. When I can't move mountains, when I can't move the mountain of debt, I have to do my part. Come on. We're going to talk about that in the, in the coming series, our part in this whole thing, of course. But when I can't do it all on my own, God's favor goes before me and starts moving mountains and clearing a path for me. God's favor opens doors that no one can shut. Favor is the aligning of his blessings and grace on us that brings a supernatural influence into our lives and those around us, opening doors of opportunity in our lives. Opening doors of opportunity in our lives. You want to understand favor and the concept of grace? This is what grace is is let us stop walking in the old concept of grace let us stop walking in the law but let us get a revelation of grace what's the point of grace so that we can have a deeper better relationship with god
kind of sounds like what's the point of prayer, doesn't it? 